Today is Wednesday, February the 15th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Yahoo will lay off 20% of staff or 1,600 people. Yahoo is laying off 20% of its staff, impacting 1,600 employees in its ad tech business. Yahoo is the parent company to TechCrunch. Employees were notified on Thursday that 12% of the companies, which is about 1,000 employees, would be laid off before the end of the day. In six months, another 8% or 600 people will be let go. These cuts will impact around half of Yahoo's ad tech business. Yahoo CEO Jim Lanzone said that these layoffs are not a result of economic issues, but rather they are intentional changes to strengthen the unprofitable Yahoo for Business Advertising unit. As a whole, Yahoo is profitable, earning around $8 billion in yearly revenue. In November, Yahoo took an almost 25% stake in advertising network Tabula, which is now the company's native advertising partner in a 30-year commercial agreement. Lanzone's said that these changes will allow Yahoo to increase competition for ad placement eight times over, but as a result of this transition, Yahoo will shut down native advertising platforms like Gemini and its supply-side platform. Yahoo will also focus on its demand-side platform, which will be renamed Yahoo Advertising. This division will focus on deals with Fortune 500 companies. Over several years, the strategy of their business is to compete in the ad tech industry by offering a unified stack consisting of demand-side platform, supply-side platform, and native platforms, a Yahoo spokesperson said in a statement. Despite many years of effort and investment, this strategy was not profitable and struggled to live up to their standard across the entire stack. In 2021, Private equity firm Apollo Global Management completed its $5 billion acquisition of Yahoo, which was formerly known as Verizon Media Group. OKCupid employs ChatGPT. The digital dating platform has begun piloting prompts composed by AI. So far, it claims users are on board. OpenAI's ChatGPT has taken the internet by storm, and now it's entering the dating world. OkCupid has begun incorporating prompts generated by the large language model into its matching questions. The company's app and online platform guides its users through the profile creation process with a stream of thousands of questions, meant to help each person define themselves and what's important to them. Those questions are intended to build a scaffolding 
of human connection. OkCupid turned to ChatGPT for help. OkCupid has started letting generative AI produce some of its profile prompts. Does the computer know us better than we know ourselves? Can AI lead us to our true soulmates? Probably not. But large language models can certainly generate convincing human-like texts in all sorts of contexts. In a small trial, the company added six AI-generated questions to its repertoire a couple weeks ago. Those questions are as follows along with how people responded. The chatbot, two prompts. What would you ask on a date? And what would you ask on a dating app? And the bland yet practical questions have proved popular. Among OKCupid's more than 4,000 matching questions, user can pick and choose which to answer, and the half-dozen chat GPT written queries have been selected by users more than 150,000 times. It's such a successful pilot that OKCupid enthusiastically affirmed that the platform plans to keep it going. Given the success of this experiment, they'll be adding new in-app matching questions generated by ChatGPT in the coming month. This application of generative artificial intelligence isn't the first time OkCupid has incorporated AI into its platform. The dating app is already using artificial intelligence when it comes to product features and moderation. Other apps, too, have begun using generative AI to produce user prompts. And on the other side, dating apps users across platforms have begun learning on ChatGPT to respond to questions, build profiles, and engage in conversation. Daters who think ChatGPT is a lifesaver get almost 40% more matches on OkCupid than those who think it's too big brother, which was part of the impetus to get the AI involved in prompt production. The existence of bots on dating apps have long been viewed as a problem to solve, a plague upon the platforms. But with the rising popularity of large language models, now both app curators and users seem eager to turn themselves into bots ever more efficient and optimized in the pursuit of, well, hookups and love, well, well whatever. Yet in OkCupid's view, AI isn't the answer to all your dating woes. The data shows that the majority of respondents do not think artificial intelligence can replace interpersonal human interaction, adding that about 70% of site users surveyed reported that relying on AI to compose profile responses or messages is a violation of trust. Right now, OkCupid doesn't expect AI tools to play a big role in the creation of online relationships, but still, the company's obviously trying to change that where they can. News publishers are weary of the Bing chatbot media. Microsoft's new search interface can serve up key information from articles, removing the need to click and potentially undermining publisher business models. Two years ago, Microsoft President Brad Smith told a U.S. congressional hearing that tech companies like his own had not been sufficiently paying media companies for the news content that helps few search engines like Bing and Google. 
What we're talking about here is far bigger than us, he said, testifying alongside news executives. Let's hope that if a century from now people are not using their cell phone or laptops or anything that we have today, journalism itself is still alive and well, because our democracy depends on it. Smith said tech companies should do more and that Microsoft was committed to continuing healthy revenue sharing with news publishers, including licensing articles for Microsoft news apps. Yet, Microsoft this week began testing a new chatbot interface for Bing that can sometimes provide a way to sidestep news websites' paywalls, providing glossy conversational answers that draw on media content. As Google and others also prepare chatbots, their potential to sap traffic from media companies could add a new twist to their conflicts with tech platforms over how content appears on search engines and social feeds. When asked the Bing chatbot about the best dog bets according to the New York Times product review site Wirecutter, which is behind a meter pay war, it quickly reeled off the publication's top three picks with brief descriptions for each. This bed is cozy, durable, easy to wash, and comes in various sizes and colors, is said of one. Citations at the end of the bot's response credited Wirecutter's reviews, but also a series of websites that appear to use Wirecutter's name to attract searches and cash in on affiliate links. Bing's bot, based on technology behind OpenAI's chatbot, Sensation Chat GPT also neatly summarizes a Wall Street Journal column on, well, Chat GPT. Even though the newspaper's content is generally behind a paywall, the two did not appear to be directly plagiarized any of the columnist's work. Microsoft Communications Director Caitlin Rolston said that Bing only crossed contents publishers made available to us. The search engine has access to paywall content from publishers that have agreements with Microsoft's new service, she says. The new Bing interface is built on technology from OpenAI that learned to generate text by analyzing the statistical patterns of words in articles, forums, and other text scrapped from the web, as well as other sources such as books. OpenAI is not known to have paid to license all that content, though. It has licensed images from stock images library Shutterstock to provide training data for its work on generating images. Microsoft is not specifically paying content creators when its bot summarizes their article, just as it and Google have not traditionally paid web publishers to display short snippets pulled from their pages in search results. But the chatty Bing interface provides richer answers than search engines traditionally have. OpenAI's ChatGPT tool, which the startup released in November, has been known to plagiarize or only lightly rework the writing of humans. Some large U.S. public schools systems, including that of New York City, have banned the use of ChatGPT. Bing uses a Microsoft AI system called Prometheus 
that the company says builds on OpenAI's ChatGPT and is fine-tuned to give users safer and more timely search results. When asked at Microsoft Media event this week about the new Bing search potentially plagiarizing the work of human writers, the company's consumer's chief marketing officer, Yusef Matai, said that the company cares a bunch about being able to drive traffic back to content creators. The links that Bing chatbot includes at the end of each response, he said, are meant to make it easy for people to go in and click through to those sites. Rostin of Microsoft declined to share information about how many early testers were clicking through those citation links to visit the information source. Now, publishers are weighing whether to strike back at Microsoft. The friendly partner that stood by their side in Congress to help them mostly fight search Goliath Google is now front-runner in a race to infuse chat technology into search. Unless there's a specific agreement in place, there's just really no revenue coming back to news publications. And it is highly problematic for our industry, says Daniel Coffey, Executive Vice President and General Counsel at News Media Alliance, a trade group of more than 2,000 print and online publications worldwide, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Wired, Parent, Condé Nast, is also a member of the group. Absent any compensation, Kofi calls the Bing chatbot attribution less than stellar for our taste. Asked whether members had considered demanding Bing stop using their content in its new search experience, she said there will be discussions on that topic. Other news trade groups are also watching search chatbots closely. We are very concerned about the role of this revolutionary technology, which has the potential to do good, can play in the exponential proliferation of misinformation, says Paul Deegan, president and CEO of Trade Body News Media Canada. Real journalism costs real money, and it is in big text platform self-interest to negotiate fair content licensing agreements with news publishers. Google and Microsoft paid some publishers to distribute their content in various apps and features, including select search results as required by European law. Microsoft's MSN web portal remains a big driver of traffic and licensing sales for some publishers, and Google has been pushing a licensing regime it calls News Showcase that delivers stories to Google News and the company's newsfeed app, Discover. But the new chatbot experience offered by Bing and a bot called Bard in the works from Google offers much more than just links, short previews, and thumbnails common on tech platforms. They are promoted as a way to use AI to immerse users in a conversation that can provide them information they want, quickly, fluidly, and without ever having to leave the chat box. If web users spend more time with bots and less time clicking links, publishers could be cut off from sales of subscriptions, ads, and referrals. When asked to summarize specific articles, 
The Bing chat box will occasionally include below is write up a large link to the source, including a thumbnail image, which could make it easier or more attractive for users to click. Coffee of News Media Alliance says she's hopeful Microsoft will continue to work with publishers and see the value of their work. There's a lot to be determined with regard to payment, she says. This is a new frontier where we're seeing an opportunity for us to recalibrate these partnerships that we have. The legality of training AI systems on data culled from the web without securing permission or of algorithms regurgitating what they learn from the data to consumers is unclear. A group of anonymous software developers last year sued Microsoft and OpenAI, claiming that an AI system known as GitHub Copilot that writes code was built by unfairly using the plaintiff's code to train machine learning algorithms. Coffee says publishers could have a strong argument for infringement of their copyright if search bots become a substitute for reading a story. Bingspot claims to feel good about its business model for now. No, I do not pay for content, the bot says, when asked about compensating publishers. I use web search results to provide you with relevant and useful information. Alphabet chairman John Hennessy explained why Google was hesitant to put out its ChatGPT competitor. Alphabet chairman John Hennessy spoke Monday at a conference where he said companies like Google are trying to figure out how to bring generative AI to market while it still gives inaccurate answers. Hennessy said he thinks the technology is still a year or two away from being truly useful on a wider scale. The comments come as Google's launch last week of BARD fell short of public expectations. Alphabet chairman John Hennessy said Monday that Google's BARD announcement last week was meant to show that the company has similar technology as the popular ChatGPT chatbot, even though it still has a way to go before becoming product-ready. Hennessy said, I think Google was hesitant to productize this because it didn't think it was really ready for a product yet, but I think as a demonstration vehicle, it's a great piece of technology. Hennessy has been the chairman of the Google parent company since 2018. He went on to say that he thinks generative artificial intelligence is still one to two years away from being a truly useful tool for the broader public. Hennessy, who spoke on key trends for 2023, briefly touched on Google being caught in the sudden onrush of interest in chat GPT and generative AI. Last week, the company launched its response to chat GPT in a conversation technology it is calling BARD. However, the announcement had the appearance of being rushed to match Microsoft's inclusion of chat GPT technology into its search engine, Bing. Hennessy said Google was slow to roll out its chat GPT competitor in part because it's still giving wrong answers. Google is among the most used consumer products and entities like YouTube and Search have sometimes provided inaccurate information in the past. That past, it seems, is inspiring caution at the company. Hennessy added that he's been impressed with ChatGPT's abilities 
and that it is moving faster than he anticipated. I'm pleased with two things. First of all, the quality of the natural language ability both to interpret a query, but also to respond to something, the generative function. I'm impressed that it manages to at least, at a fairly superficial level, get a lot of things right. You don't want to put a system out that either says wrong things or sometimes says toxic things. Hennessy said during the conference, echoing CEO Sundar Pinchai response in December when employees asked if the company was falling behind ChatGPT. The tech industry has to be a little more careful about the situation we create in civil society, he acknowledged. I think these models are still in the early days, figuring out how to bring them into a product stream and do it in a way that's sensitive to correctness as well as issues like toxicity. Hennessy told CNBC on Monday, I think the industry is struggling with that. I think he really meant Alphabet is struggling with that. Google hopes to inoculate Internet users against misinformation. Google plans to expand a campaign against online misinformation to Germany this week and later India, as first reported by the Associated Press. The strategy, known as pre-bunking or added-to-the-null inoculation, aims to train people on how to recognize false information and manipulated facts on the internet before they even encounter them. In short videos and photos, shown across platforms like YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook, in standard advertising slots, Google will continue its push to make pre-bunking a go-to method for dispelling disinformation. A massive study published in August of 2022 demonstrated the potential value of pre-bunking among a group of nearly 30,000 participants. After viewing pre-bunking videos that highlighted well-known disinformation tactics like emotional appeals and ad hominem attacks, the researchers found that people were 5% better, on average, at identifying these tricks when shown a variety of social media posts. That study was conducted by researchers from Cambridge and Bristol Universities as well as partners from Alphabet-owned YouTube and Google's internet threat research arm, Jigsaw. Google has also run smaller tests of its own on U.S. audiences, focused on COVID-19 vaccine misinformation. Beginning a few months ago, the company began to employ the pre-bunk strategy on a wider scale, testing the method beyond closed research studies and in the real world. In the fall of 2022, the company started up tests in Poland, the Czech Republic, and Slovakia, focused largely on combating widely perpetuated xenophobic false claims about Ukrainian refugees. For example, that refugees are criminal or steal jobs and housing. There, the company used videos which offered viewers ways to recognize unreliable sources and information and were intended to increase awareness of efforts to manipulate public perception. In Germany, the AP reports that the tech giant's campaign will incorporate both still images and videos highlighting 
how easy it is to share misinformation. One timely example of misinformation that could be stymied through the method provided by the AP, a video of a 2020 explosion in Beirut has been shared widely across European social media under the false explanation that it was an incident triggered by this month's devastating earthquake in Turkey. If a video were to circulate highlighting that this often happens post-disasters, users might double-check the validity of earthquake content that they see. Google has yet to specify any of the details of its forthcoming project in India beyond that it will be launched later this year. The company has struggled with misinformation in its search results and, of course, on YouTube. Counter to other methods of combating disinformation spread like increased content moderation and post-by-post fact-check or addressing the underlying algorithms that direct people to increasingly extremist content. Pre-bunking is likely a less resource-intensive strategy for tech companies. It also doesn't require that these corporations directly weigh in on individual, highly politicized issues, just that they attempt to arm their user base with the tools to recognize when a claim might not be all that it seems. But the strategy does have its downsides. For one, Cultural differences and ensuring cultural relevancy could be supercritical in creating impactful pre-bunk content. Though, overall, Google's Jigsaw found that its Eastern European campaign was effective. The biggest impact was seen in Poland. In the Czech Republic, outcomes were more mixed. In Slovakia, the campaign had no significant observable effect. The company noted that this could be because the Slovakian videos were dubbed as opposed to recorded specifically for that market. But Jigsaw noted that more research is needed. Unsurprisingly, the videos were also found to be more effective among people who watched the whole thing, a challenge for even the most popular and prolific influencers on the web. Content volume is high and attention spans are short. Beyond a single test, It's also widely accepted that viewing a single pre-bunk video doesn't lead to lasting shifts in attitudes or awareness. People need repeated inoculations or booster videos to keep up their skepticism and media literacy. And Google isn't exactly a perfect arbiter of what's true and what's false. Last week, the company even spread some misinformation of its own in a promotion of its new AI tool. Then there's the potential of pre-bunking format itself to be co-opted into disinformation campaigns or simply be a standalone manipulation. Deciding what counts as disinfo and what the hallmarks of bad facts are is a political choice that aims to sway people's opinion, whether or not tech companies see it that way. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we go back to the office when we start thinking of different ways we can be better. We can improve the company. We can make more money, yes, by having novel ideas. And, you know, all of this does mix in. It can be uh, whatever. And I shift it around every week. This week, I want to go back to something we talked about recently, and that was automating repetitive tasks. 
I mean, we think of this. We think of automation as the idea of of manufacturing and and robotics and all of these different automatons that are assembling products and packaging goods and things like that. Yes, they all increase efficiency. They improve product quality. But I want you to look for ways to automate your position or portions of it. And you can use Excel. You can use the various macro programs that are out there. One of the ones I'm uh, familiar with is Automate 10. I used it for uh, for uh, quite a while. I I brought down some of the automation or brought down into automation the closing of our books. And I've talked about this before. And I put in a lot of time, but it was taking up my boss uh, his time, it was taking up my boss's time to the tune of about, I think it was about six to eight hours a week. And we brought it down into about an hour every week. So there's a lot of benefits for us to do this. And you should find a way to automate whatever you can, whether it's, again, Excel, a macro program, or, or access. So first off, increased efficiency. So anytime you automate things, you already are bringing up the level of efficiency in that process. You use a software to automate some of the data entry. It's a routine thing, and you always have to hit these seven buttons, and then you you, know, you go through and you do whatever it is after that. So those seven buttons, if I can hit those seven buttons lightning quick, I can program it once and bump, 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 bump. It hits those seven buttons on the screen. And then I type in that next entry. That helps. Now, there's also improved accuracy. Whenever you're dealing with automating these repetitive tasks, you will find that it's going to speed things along, but it's also going to improve your focus on things that you need to focus on. You're not focused on the mundane. You're focused on the data that needs to be put in. Additionally, along with that improved accuracy, sometimes some of these things you have to hit. Uh, okay, so we go back to that automation that I did. I I had to go through and I had to figure out, okay, you're going to press here, press here, press here, press here, press here, press here, press here. You're going to enter in this information. You're going to enter in this information. You're going to enter in this, that, this, that, this, that. And there was a lot of stuff, there was a lot of interaction there. But by automating it, it was always going to be the right answer. It's going to click in the right spot. It's always going to do the right thing. It's always going to be perfectly automated. It's going to, as long as you did it right the first time, it will always be right subsequent times. So accuracy just shoots through the roof. Another one is cost savings. And I talked about this uh, on the other item uh, recently in regards to, yes, you're going to reduce the amount of time you're going to spend on that particular task. That's a cost savings to the company. It's a time savings to the company. But it's something that, well, they, they may be paying you a salary. They may be paying you hourly. They can repurpose you to a different location. We did at a company that I worked at oh, eight years ago, 10 years ago. We did an automation uh, just rollout of one particular item. And it streamlined a lot. We had one person freed up completely. 
they didn't leave the company. We had a number of different people who were doing these jobs, and one of these no longer had to do that job. We just moved them to a different location. This helps a lot. What are the different areas for for tech automation? Uh, you know, I will tell you first off, any kind of data entry and data management. And this is, you know, all of the different reports that you're printing out, all of the different things where you're you're going through and yes, every week we print out this, that, and this and that and this and that and this and that. Okay. Automate that. Have it automatically come out of the system. It just prints. We automatically send 3,000 emails. We're doing it by hand. No, don't do it by hand. Do it automatically, automatedly. Any kind of a business process, anything that you can think about that is a repetitive item. We're talking about sending out invoices. We're talking about processing employee information, uh, anything uh, having to do with purchasing so any kind of flows that you have, if somebody's sitting there and they're doing, uh, you know, a hundred different things, but they're they're sequential and it's the same hundred things over and over and over again, it's ripe for automation. The last item I'm going to mention, we've started to see this. You've seen this. The automation in regards to customer service, we've seen this in the idea of these virtual assistants, these different little chatbots, which provide customer service 24-7. Even though your company may only work eight hours a day, overnight somebody has a question, well, it's going to try and work these things through. It'll answer some of the common questions and, yes, take down the information if you need to get back to the customer. This is really great stuff. All of this automation is really helpful. If I could impress upon people one great way to improve the company, well, I would say automation. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. Installed base of Windows 10 and 11 went up. Windows 11 was first released in October of 2021. The release of Windows 11 took a while, and the operating system for Microsoft has been taking its sweet time in becoming the primary operating system for people who use PCs. Windows 11, after 16 months from its introduction, saw its market share increase by as much as 1.16 points, with all things having been considered and taken into account, which means it has finally crossed the 18% threshold. Now that Windows 11 is sitting at and an 18.13% adoption rate, up from 16.97%, one might think that it will rapidly rise to the top. In spite of the fact this is the case, its predecessor, Windows 10, has been seeing more surprising growth as well. Windows 10 currently has a 68.75% share of the operating system market, and its adoption rate has gone up by almost an entire point or 0.8 to be precise. Windows in general is the single most dominant operating system on the entire market. It is used by around 74.14% of consumers. Coming in at a distant second is Mac OS with a 15.33%. And although this operating system has seen its share increase by a decent 0.6.7 points, it still doesn't come anywhere close to Windows with all things having been considered and taken into account. Interestingly, Windows saw its overall share decline in the previous year over by point. It went from having a 75.3% share 
to 74.14, which might indicate that other operating systems are on the rise, and however, it should still be mentioned that the latest versions of Windows, namely Windows 10 and 11, both saw an increase in usership. That means to suggest that Windows is still going strong, but the people who were using older operating systems might be migrating to Mac OS or even Linux. We might potentially see Windows 11 edge even closer to the 20% mark this year, and once it finally does that, the prominence of Windows 10 will slowly but surely start to diminish, which might give Mac OS a chance to grow. And just remember, the manufacturers are just now including Windows 11 on all systems they sell. ChatGPT may be the fastest growing app in history. The AI-powered chatbot from OpenAI only launched in November 2022, but already has over 100 million monthly active users. OpenAI's ChatGPT chatbot might be drawing in new users faster than any other consumer-facing application in the Internet's history. It's no secret that ChatGPT, the large language model-powered artificial intelligence from OpenAI, has taken the Internet by storm. Everyone is talking about it. Everywhere. Online. Gizmodo included. The AI chatbot can almost instantly generate paragraphs of human-like, fluid text in answer to basically any prompt you can come up with, but just don't rely on it to do your math homework correctly to provide an accurate substitute for research writing. And the scope of chat GPT's ascent is probably even more astounding than you think. The chatbot has become the fastest-growing consumer-facing application in history, according to a new analysis from Swiss investment bank UBS, as reported by multiple financial outlets. In January, just two months after the program's public launch, ChatGPT reached 100 million monthly active users. UBS noted, based on data amassed from SimilarWeb by the end of last month. The bot was being visited by around 13 million unique visitors daily. Those numbers are about double what they were just six months prior in December, when the app had about 57 million users, and about 6 million daily views, according to UBS Per Markets Insider. For comparison, it took TikTok about nine months from its worldwide launch to net 100 million users, per report from Reuters. Instagram didn't reach that benchmark for two and a half years. Previously, it's been apparent that ChatGPT became popular fast. Often, accessing it is a game of constantly refreshing the page and waiting in line as the site often declares it is at capacity. And an influx of 1 million users in five days once fully crashed the app in early December 2022. But these new stats from UBS are beyond emblematic of simple popularity. They're potentially record-setting. We cannot remember an app scaling at this pace, the UBS analyst said, according to Markets Insider. In 20 years following the Internet space, we cannot recall a faster ramp in a consumer Internet app, the U.S. authors added. Gizmodo reached out to OpenAI with questions, 
including how it is managing the number of users on its platform. But the company did not immediately respond. UBS also did not reply to an answer from Gizmodo requesting the bank's original analysis. OpenAI hasn't just attracted individual users to ChatGPT. It also attracted billions in fresh investment from Microsoft. Plus, the startup has prompted an unprecedented competitive push from established tech giants like Google. Though there's a lot of things worth critiquing about the app, including its tendency towards inaccuracy, potential for plagiarism, and ethical concerns, it would be foolish to pretend ChatGPT isn't incredibly impressive. The program has experienced a meteoric rise to the top of the internet for a reason. That said, it's not quite impressive enough to justify shelling out $20 a month on priority access and the other minimal improvements offered in the new paid premium subscription version. But probably, it's only a matter of time before OpenAI manages to monetize all its millions of users. Following the success of OpenAI's ChatGPT, Google decided to release its own version, BARD. Unlike ChatGPT, Google AI chat service has had a rocky start. BARD is Google's experimental conversational AI chat service. It is meant to function similarly to ChatGPT, with the biggest difference being that Google's service will pull from all its information from the web. BARD was unveiled on February the 6th in a statement from Google and Alphabet CEO Sundar Pinchai. Even though BARD was an entirely new concept at the announcement, the AI chat service is powered by Google's language model for dialogue applications, Lambda, which was unveiled two years ago. Lambda was built on Transformer, Google's neural network architecture that it invented and open source in 2017. Interestingly, GPT-3, the language model chat GPT functions on, was also built on Transformer, according to Google. The initial version of BARD will utilize a lightweight model version of Lambda because it requires less computing power and can be scaled to more users according to the release. In addition to Lambda, BARD will draw on all the information from the web to provide responses. Pinchai said pulling from the web would provide fresh, high-quality responses. Google's BARD has had a rough launch, though, with a demo of BARD delivering inaccurate information about the James Webb Space Telescope. To launch the AI service, Google tweeted a demo of the AI chat service in which the prompt read, What new discoveries from James Webb Space Telescope can I tell my nine-year-old about? People quickly noticed that the output response was factually incorrect. As ZDNet reporter Stephanie Condon reports, the first photo of an exoplanet was taken in 2004 by the European Southern Observatory. This highlights the importance of a rigorous testing process, something that we're kicking off this week with our trusted tester program, said a Google spokesperson to ZDNet in a statement. Before BARD was released, Google's Lambda came under fire as well, as ZDNet reporter Tiernan Ray reports shortly after Lambda's publication, former Google engineer Blake Lemoyne released a 
document in which he shared that Lambda might be sentient. This controversy faded after Google denied the sentience and put Limon on paid administrative leave before letting him go from the company. So why did Google decide to unveil Google Bard now? Well, ChatGPT has been a big hit since its release. In less than a week after launching, ChatPTT had more than 1 million users, according to an analysis by Swiss bank UBS. ChatGPT is the fastest growing app of all time because of this success. Other tech companies, including Google, are trying to get into the space while it's hot. Within the same week, Google unveiled Bard. Microsoft unveiled a new AI-improved Bing, which runs on a next-generation OpenAI large language model customized specifically for search. In a recent paper, Google recognizes the risk that these kinds of models could pose to the misappropriation of creative content and inherent biases present in the training that could affect cultures underrepresented in the training as well as fears over cultural appropriation. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston joins me now. And Marty, I want to go back. We ended off last week. We were talking about uh, that um, uh, blizzard, bomb blizzard, bomb blizzard. blizzard. And I I really wanted us to, to unpack some of some of what you were talking about there, because you went through uh, you. I know you went through quite a bit of an experience uh, oh, with that. Yeah. Well, it was the night before Christmas Eve. My son went all through the house. Not a creature was stirring. Okay, go on. My grown son and daughter were in town. She's in Chicago. He's in D.C. Yeah. And uh, when the blizzard hit, we went from temperatures in I think it was the 30s down to single digits. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the the trees were blowing like a ne'er do well because it, the gusts were hitting fifty to sixty miles per hour, mm-hmm. and yeah, we were feeling yeah. pretty good about it until blackout. Power's yeah, gone, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, that power outage ended up lasting five hours. And it impacted you in multiple ways. It's not like you know, okay, we we were without lights for five hours. It was. <laughs> yeah. It was without lights, without heating, of course, and the cooling, but it fried some stuff. Yeah. Let, let, let's, let's go through. What what all did it fry? Well, we don't have a, a water tank, a hot water tank. Okay. We have a tankless water heater. It's on demand just in time. It's only running the gas. If there's a demand for water, uh, it senses the cold side. When the demand happens, it turns on the gas. And ours is condensing. So the waste heat that normally would go out the flue actually is preheating the water before it gets there. It has okay. two heat exchange blocks, one for the preheat, the other for the main heat. And it's a very clever thing to do. Ours is a little different. Mm-hmm. Ours mounts outdoors. Wait, wait, wait. Outdoors? I, I thought they were always indoors. Well, they should be, especially in climates where it freezes. Oh, okay. All right. So is that a discovery for you or is that? Oh, no, 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 no. Because, uh, you know, they tend to be good for tens of degrees below zero. Okay. 
they have separate heating jackets in the, to keep it all valid. They figured it out. And they, okay. you know, you know. All right. So, so it's intentionally designed to yeah. go outdoor. Okay. All right. Uh, although, you know, there are two ways you can keep it alive if there's a, a, a power failure. Mm -hmm. One is with backup power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And the other is by keeping a trickle of water going, roughly an eighth of an inch trickle out a hot water tank. And that mm -hmm. keeps water going through it. It keeps the gas firing and all of that stuff. Uh, unfortunately, our water comes from a well which doesn't pump if there's no electricity to the well. Oh, pump. no. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we knew there was going to be some freezing, and we were kind of hoping when we turned things back on, it wouldn't be terrible. And all of that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So power came back and uh, turned on the hot water. I, 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 I turned off the taps downstairs. I turned on the hot water. Turned, you know, had with the taps back on, and cold water came out the hot water tap. Okay. And so you wife, knew you had throughput. You just yeah. yeah my okay. wife said, "What are we hearing?" And we went to uh, look out the porch because we could see the side of the house from there. Mm -hmm. And we saw the box that is the tankless water heater on the side of the house, dripping water out the bottom. Oh, okay. A constant right. flow of water. Yeah, yeah. Said, so let's turn it off. We'll wait till things thaw. It's going to go up in a couple of days. We'll be above freezing. Yeah, yeah. So when it got above freezing, coincidentally, we're about six hours into letting the thing go. I imagine there was a big block of ice there that was melting. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. No, no, <laughs> no. The, uh, the freeze had cracked both heat exchange blocks. They were leaking. Wow. Wow. So I did all the investigation I could on the phone and online. Mm -hmm. We're yeah, talking yeah. Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. You're not going to reach a lot of people. Reaching a plumber was not, not usually. Fun yeah, yeah. In fact, the plumber we got had never, ever seen an outdoor unit before. But oh, okay. So, so, so my not uh, knowing about this is not, it, it, uh, that's, that's not surprising. Him not knowing about it, that's wild. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, it, 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 it's just luck of the draw, I guess. Sure, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I found, I, I went looking for the parts, the two heat exchange blocks, not that mm -hmm. I knew how to replace them, but I went looking for them. Uh, each of them were between five and $600 mm -hmm. and only one of them was available anywhere. Mm -hmm. No way to repair. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I went, I went to Amazon, you know, mm -hmm. that big smiley yeah. place. Yeah. And I found a similar spec unit on sale, 26% off. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the specs were very, very close. The, the Noritz that we had was 9.6 gallons per minute. Sure. The, the one that we bought, which was a ream, is 9.5 gallons per minute. Okay. Most of the other specs are the same. Uh, and uh, thank goodness I was able to get it on one of their delayed pay $90 a month things. Sure. Yeah. So got that in, you know, it was another 1200 bucks for the plumber and a couple of motel light nights so we could take showers. It was a the day after it got here, the plumber managed to come out. We worked together. We had it in before the day was over and uh, 
hot water immediately. And as soon as he left, the showers for both of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, that that bomb blizzard, uh, actually, that whole uh, that whole week just really <laughs> destroyed a lot of the country for yeah. a, for a lot of reasons. Someday, if you want, I'll tell you how I got the Honeywell advanced uh, furnace controller working again. But that was geek side stuff. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> this is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. And thank you, Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. Brookdale Computer Users Group will have a presentation, Current Trends in Personal Technology, Thursday, February the 23rd. Meeting time is 6.45 p.m., virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is bcug.com. TechEd Connect, formerly Westchester PC Users Group, will have a presentation on stained glass windows. Thursday, March the 2nd, meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is wpcug.org. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey has a meeting Friday, March 3rd. Meeting time is 8 p.m., online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Website is acgnj.org. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a meeting Thursday, March the 9th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is nyacc.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, March the 10th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is limac.org. The King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, March the 14th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. at the Park Plaza Restaurant, 220, that's 220, Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. And the phone number to confirm is 347-278-7320. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN.Live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on PRN.Live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.